Tacky Talk Time here on AM Quincy with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy. How are you, Tacky? Hey, it's good to see you today, Joe. Uh, things aren't too bad. Very busy uh, as the session's kind of gotten started. I know. Here we are. Um, it's everything. Everything old is new again <laughs> on Beacon Hill. Oh. In many ways, yes. Uh, you know, two out of three members of leadership are, are uh, existing: Speaker Mariano and Senate President Spoka. And of course, we have new Governor uh, Maura Healy. However, at the same time, though, she was the Attorney General. So, in some ways, yeah, it's new but old at the same time. But uh, as I remind folks, you know, when you start a new legislative session, the whole slate is wiped clean. All the bills have expired. All the committee assignments have expired. All the leadership positions have expired. Uh, we did vote for the speaker, which is why we have a speaker. Uh, it's the first thing we do at the beginning of a session. Same with the Senate president. They have a Senate president. So at least there's a essentially a manager of the building. The, the job is not just uh, policy. It's actual office management. So obviously we need somebody to, you know, keep the wheels moving beyond just, uh, you know, making committee assignments or setting the schedule for the legislative calendar. It's, it's more involved uh, than just you know, that responsibility. And... Um, you know, we'll obviously missed a bill filing. Uh, we, there's not much to talk about yet until I finish this bill filing process and see if my staff will kill me or not, given the fact that working very hard for me on uh, taking requests, putting uh, the list together for me to review and, uh, you know, try to make some, you know, very short time decisions now on what's a good bill to file, what not is to file. And of course, taking requests. We're going to get hit on my email with large number of co-sponsor requests starting now. I mean, it's already begun. And suspect, you know, for the next four or six weeks, I'm just get flooded by, I want you to co-sponsor this, co-sponsor that. And then now we have to sift through all those emails and try to make some judgment calls on, you know, which ones make sense for me to co-sponsor. Uh, folks, just to let you know, if you co-sponsor every single thing out there, it's not great optics. It shows you don't really make decisions. Uh, and you may not always be happy if I, do, if I say yes or say no, but at least, you know, make an effort to think about it before you say yes or no. Right. I'm, I'm sure one of the biggest challenges is uh, responding uh, intelligently in saying no, right? And giving your reasons for saying no. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes it's simply the fact that, you know, I've already done too many. I've, I've run out of bandwidth to adopt more policy issues or, or resolutions or what are people looking for. Uh, or I just don't have time to understand it right now. Uh, I do like to know what I'm getting into at some level. Uh, given the volume, I'm like, okay, this is going to take a lot longer to sort out down the road. Let's see how this plays out with the committee levels. And, you know, I can always, uh, you know, join support at a future date. I don't think I should assume that, you know, co-sponsorship is the end or be all. I also remind folks that the bills will change. Uh, coming out of committees, the various committees bills go through. I mean, maybe I don't like what happened when they change it, or I may do like what happened when they change it. Uh, right. You don't, so you know. Um, yeah, and, yeah. It's easier to change your mind about saying no than change your mind about saying yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people accuse of politicians flip flopping, and I get it. Trust me, I, I have the same frustration. But you know, at the same time, though, I've been around long enough to understand the processes. If you lock yourself to a single position, not really considering the full breadth of options and topics and considerations of other folks that come talk to you, as you kind of you know learn and weigh in on the whole issue, mm. you know. It, 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 it may be better to make a decision uh, later, or sometimes uh, it's better to change your mind if you discover that was just uh, not a good idea, yeah. right? And some things look good in the service. I mean, back at the very beginning of my tenure, you know, right to repair, you've heard about right to repair more than one side of my mouth now. You know, it sounded really great on, a sh on paper until I really kind of deep dived into electric property protection issues, the 
uh, issues regarding um, whether or not people should pay for uh, mechanics should should pay for uh, same as uh, dealers that also pay for training and, and access to information services. I mean, people forget they wanted free things. It wasn't like, hey, just you know, this is about rights of consumers. No, they wanted free stuff to do it, as opposed to other folks that had to pay. But on the flip side is the right of access. If everyone should can pay for it. They never should have equal right to it. So it turned out to be a lot more uh, convoluted uh, than the uh, soundbite or the flyer presented once we actually had more time to really like look at what's going on regarding equity, not necessarily just equity for consumers to pick a repair shop, not just equity for independent mechanics to be able to repair cars, but equity regarding access to materials and equal access for payment. Mm. Um, you know, if I can buy it uh, and you're giving it to somebody else. Well, why can't I buy it, right? Uh, it's like saying going to a store, you want to buy you know, an item. Uh, and they say, no, you can't, but, you know, someone else in front of you did and, you, you know, your, both your cash is still good. Right, right. That's so interesting. It, yeah, there's a lot more involved. So, I mean, this is kind of part of the early part of the process where uh, people kind of assume, I just know everything. <laughs> okay, I like to pretend I do, but it doesn't mean <laughs> I do. <laughs> hey, did you attend the uh, inaugurations yesterday for the uh, Attorney General and I think Secretary of State and some other constitutional officers? Yeah, the Attorney General, the State Treasurer, the Secretary of State, and the State Auditor were all sworn in yesterday at noontime. Uh, the uh, Auditor actually had a ceremonial, ceremonial, ceremonial swearing in, tongue twister, uh, at Methuen High School last evening. Oh. I did not attend those. Uh, we actually held a House Asian Caucus organizational meeting yesterday. Uh, where we uh, elected officers, uh, set up an agenda, uh, caught up with our issues as a family. We actually have not had an in-person meeting since 2019. Uh, so it was actually good for us to get together. And also our staffs haven't actually talked to each other in three years, really, in a room. So it gave the staffers to all reconnect as well. Um, so, uh, no, I didn't attend. We were caught up on, a, on another meeting as we were discussing uh, agenda items and putting uh, tabling agenda items and uh, uh, coming back probably in four to six weeks to uh, have a continuation regarding things that were tabled on the agenda. So, um, so yeah, no, I didn't make it. We had other one. So it's, I mean, so it's Bill Galvin now is the, the only male uh, in the executive branch or in the top tier anyway. Well, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. Uh, us, uh, remember that uh, one time I and mean, the last, or the last time we remember seeing a, uh, uh, first uh, constitutional officer, I think, was um, uh, Clapwood, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Clapwood, yeah. And then when I showed up here, it was Weld, Salucci, Malone, Galvin, and Danucci. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first constitutional woman officer I've worked with uh, in any capacity of my time there was uh, Shannon O'Brien, state treasurer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, so. Jean Griff for, uh, with Paul Salucci. So a lot has changed in a relatively short period of time, really, when you think about it. Yeah, within the last 25 or so years, because yeah. uh, they had a, a Shannon O'Brien, the state treasurer, Jane Swift as lieutenant governor with Paul Salucci. Uh, we, uh, who else do we have? Uh, we had, uh, obviously, we had a female, lieutenant, a female attorney general in uh, Martha Coakley. Uh, we had uh, Sue Bump as state auditor. Uh, we have Deb Goldberg as, again, still continuation of state treasurer. Obviously, Maura Healy uh, was the second woman attorney general, and now first woman elected governor. Jane mm. Swift was acting governor. She was never elected. She was a right. 
the bill, uh, she took the acting governor's role in the Constitution. It actually says the word acting governor in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, she left to be ambassador to Canada. So, yeah, lots changed in my um, tenure Beacon Hill from when I staffed and interned uh, to now being an elected on uh, the, the leadership structure of the, of the legislature, including uh, the Senate as well, where uh, mm-hmm. Terry Murray became the first female Senate president. And then we had um, this brief period of Stan Rosenberg, but followed by Harriet Chandler, uh, who's uh, retired, uh, and uh, now Karen Spilka. And, uh, you know, even uh, in the House, you know, we had Claire Cloran, who's now the ambassador of Ireland, you know, mm-hmm. as a female majority leader. Under Speaker Mariano, so uh, you know women have come quite far, and the swearing-in day uh, uh, replenished some of the ranks of the women, which you know no, there's no fault to anybody's. They just found greener pastures uh, and moved on. Uh, and this is you know this is like any other career; people will find better opportunities mm-hmm. and take. Yeah, we talked about this before. It's um, the, the public sector everywhere is having struggles trying to keep and maintain workers because of the pressures from the outside private sector. Exactly. And the legislators are, have more uh, career skills than just being a legislator. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we are real people. Uh, we had lives. Well, maybe not me, but I mean, we all have lives uh, prior to uh, being an elected official. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of different skill sets uh, that just been uh, enhanced uh, from the time in state house where he got a broadened horizons of learning and working in very specific areas of public policy. Mm. Any news on uh, committee assignments yet uh, from the speaker, Tacky? Nope. Okay. No idea. I have no ideas. I mean, I can sit here speculating guess, and I'm sure the speaker yeah. will get word. I've been sitting here talking to you, speculating guessing. Um, but, you know, in honesty, uh, don't have any ideas. We're very aware that you know, all aware that uh, he has a number of leadership positions to fill, particularly in my jury leader position, which I just said, Claire Cronin is the ambassador Island. Uh, you know, she has a second leader position because of Joe Wagner uh, from Chicopee uh, retired. Um, he has a floor division leader, which is Tom Golden, who became city manager of Lowe. You guys can see the pattern here as I'm talking about people's career changes. Yeah. Um, you know, he has a few uh, chairmanship positions open, including Environment and Natural Resources uh, Committee, which is actually uh, very important, you know, Joint Committee of Natural Resources and Agriculture. And you have um, Cybersecurity and other new committee uh, that uh, has no one there, as well as uh, municipalities. Another committee doesn't have anybody chairing at the moment in the House. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a few opportunities, including some other vice chairs as well uh, for the speaker to shuffle people around and, you know, we're not oblivious to politics and optics. I mean, the speaker is very aware of uh, the optics associated with who he puts in leadership. But, mm. you know, it's not just about, you know, race, gender, and political experience and geography. You got to make sure the people you put in are competent. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a bit of rolling dice in this gig where, um, you know, you are just seeing if a person has the uh, capacity to lead. And uh, being a chair or a leader uh, in the leadership team, you know, you have to lead. And that mm-hmm. means management, staff management, member management, public management, press management. I mean, it's, it's quite involved. Yeah. And not to mention uh, scheduling your own personal life in between all of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, how people manage that is, is not my decision, obviously. I manage my own committee. Well, I managed. I'm technically not a chair. No, I'm not chair at the moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, responsibility and some people may decide they want to change chairs. I've asked the speaker to change chairs and some folks may, um, 
look for a high-powered vice chair. For example, uh, the vice chair of Ways and Means is not a bad gig. Mm-hmm. You know, for some folks, some people would like uh, to be uh, a vice chair in a high position committee. So uh, I can't speak to, again, anyone's specific uh, desires uh, they make to the speaker. I'm not privy to those conversations. But the speaker is committed to meeting every House member regarding their request. At least let them all make their case about whether or not they should be assigned to certain committees. Okay, that's going to take some time for sure. Yeah, I intend to stay at Consumer Protection and Professional Leisure. Uh, however, we'll see if the speaker is going to make that recommendation to the Democratic Caucus. Uh, he still has to put the slate before the caucus. And the caucus uh, will have to vote on the slate. Uh, that being said, I don't remember the last time someone's ever challenged the slate. Yeah, that really wouldn't put you in good stead with the speaker if you, if you do that. <laughs> no, I, I'm just being honest, folks. Uh, you know, I've never heard of a, a slate challenge in, in my observation of being in Hill, but you actually may see that in D.C. As the committee assignments continue to roll out, uh, we'll see if there's any leaks to the media about how the Republican caucus uh, a committee assignments went regarding um, that as well, because they actually can fight the caucus on an assignment if a member desires mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. rally votes in a caucus for an assignment and try to leverage position. Uh, I don't know. Such a fight just to appoint the speaker down there. So I'm sure there's going to be more controversy. Absolutely. And, and those uh, those uh, caucuses are done in private. And uh, it requires one of the members to provide a leak or maybe going smooth as silk. And there is no story to speak of at all. I mean, you know, kind of media has kind of waited out to see if, if uh, someone yeah. said anything. Uh, 2023. Now there is an official millionaire's tax, in Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of accountants and lawyers are trying to figure this one out. Uh, <laughs> I'm fairly confident that uh, people of means will be able to figure how to work around this. We're a flat tax state. Uh, Our deductibles, we do have other entity mechanisms. There are corporate uh, corporate entity mechanisms that accountants and attorneys with plenty of experience beyond myself will be able to work it out. Uh, Do I think they're all going to be able to escape paying the millionaire's surcharge of 4% of every dollar over one million? Probably not. Can they reduce their tax burden? Probably so. Uh, But but, I mean, reduce tax burden means maybe spreading out their uh, financials over a different spectrum of uh, streams of income or entities, or, um, you know, you can always uh, move things to trust funds. I mean, a separate end again, the taxable entities, but it changes the tax burden load. So, and if you're, uh, you know, an S corp or a C corp or LLPs and those things, you know, there are accountants that can help uh, reduce the tax burden through expenses or, or maybe creating a salary position, a salary position and retain shares. I mean, again, I'm not an attorney that works in this area, but, you know, there, there are ways to do this stuff. Um, and it'll be no, it's actually no different from before the millionaire's tax anyway. They always had those mechanisms available. Uh, but now we're a tier tax system, a two tier tax system. Uh, for the first time that I'm aware of, um, that we're no longer a single tax uh, income tax system, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. So the voters uh, said it was all right, and uh, the legislature is going to have to uh, implement, but more accurately, the Department of Revenue is going to have to set, set up the regulatory processes of how to do it. I mean, it's not a complicated law. We're not going to really amend it. It's not going to do anything with it. So Department of Revenue needs to, you know, put out the guidelines and the regulations and the appropriate, you know, there'll be a new form. The form one's going to look a little different. Right. Yeah. Any uh, progress on um, uh, sports betting, uh, Jackie? 
I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we've reached the point where we've got some of the land-based casinos, right? The physical structures are getting sports betting should be coming out sometime after March Madness. This is very confusing what's going on here. Uh, the online stuff, I think, has proven a little tricky. I've spoken in the past about the fact that I've, I've asked the uh, Gaming Commission to look at cybersecurity more seriously, uh, given the fact that uh, land-based casinos and, uh, as you've all seen, uh, various um, other entities have had breaches, including one of the uh, password uh, security uh, companies, I don't remember which one, but you know, when you get like, you sign up and uh, pay for a service where that uh, you only need one password, but you have all your other passwords stored in one location. I mean, there's security breach there. There's always been my kind of hesitation about those companies where it's like, oh yeah, I'll give you all my passwords. So I can use one password to access all my online information until they get hacked. Right. Yeah. You know, it's somewhat unclear how that goes. And you know, I, and I had a, like a $16 settlement payment from Cheesecake Factory for their hack regarding a credit card data breach. Okay. Yeah, big settlement coming, right? And then T-Mobile has another one um, that's like $25 or something. I mean, these class actions, as you guys all know, you know, it starts at millions of dollars, plus you take your cut, uh, the lawyers take their cut, and then, you know, what's left over is distributed among the consumers that are, you know, signed up to try to get a piece of what's remaining. And it's not a lot of money, as you can hear. But I mean, it's size of the civil penalty that gives the companies pause to try to try not do this again, even though it seems like a drop in the bucket. But if you're talking like 20, 30, 40 million dollars, yeah, maybe it's a drop in the bucket size of the company, but it's still a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, insurers, the publicity that goes with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the insurers are probably not pleased with the payouts either. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you, you know, keep an eye on email. If you're not clear if it's uh, legit or not, you know, you always can contact the companies directly to find out about these settlements. The websites are pretty good on giving the right links or call numbers to to the offender regarding data breaches. And, you know, this is a state requires data breach reporting to attorney general. But, you know, litigation's country, and in these cases, rightfully so, in class actions. Um, you know, what also takes years and years and years to get through. So, mm-hmm. Remember correctly, one of our attorney general candidates makes me a living uh, on the, a whole lot of money she made uh, on these type of class actions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, speaking of, um, I just read this morning about a proposal to ban TikTok on government issued devices. So it was, I forget who proposed that. Um, yeah, okay. Um, you should not be using personal stuff on employers' devices. Let's get that out there first. I have a private cell phone. I pay for my own cell phone. Uh, it is not a government-issued cell phone. I can do what I want with my cell phone. However, I do have Microsoft Teams on my cell phone and Microsoft Outlook. The Statehouse can wipe my phone out on a button. Mm. Uh, so my choice is get a second cell phone and pay for that myself or you know, keep this one. So, I mean, backing away pictures is very important these days, right? <laughs> In case my phone decides to, the whole thing's dead. Yeah, you're nothing left. Um, but if you're an employee who has a business cell phone or be governor private sector, I'm sorry, you should not be using it for personal use. Um, whether it be TikTok or Facebook or Twitter, if it's not in you know use. I mean, when I was in the AG's office, uh, attorney generals uh, that got assigned cell phones have two. One is strictly business use and one was obviously you pay for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Particularly the fact in the AG's office when I worked there, uh, you know, the leadership teams uh, you know, had sensitive information because attorney-client privilege and also non-disclosure issues regarding sensitive information in the AG's office had to be kept inside a loop. 
And those mm-hmm. phones were covered by the AG's office where things were done. I mean, you can keep the numbers, but I mean, you just transfer those devices back and uh, that's that. I mean, you want to take a phone number with you. These days, it's not a big deal, but right. you get on the phones and you go back to the Attorney General's office. Same as any employer. So yeah, banning TikTok is sure. I mean, fine, but you should not have your any personal items on your cell phone, period, if it's not your cell phone. Well, yeah, I was curious as to why that particular app was singled out. You know, it's, why it's not a, just apps in general? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, let's get past the whole, hey, you know, employers should be responsible to ensure the employee is not putting stupid stuff on your devices. Um, you know, obviously, this is a big media thing regarding secu- uh, data security issues associated with TikTok and being owned by a Chinese company. Right. And, uh, as uh, some of you may be aware, uh, many of the Chinese companies, the uh, uh, central companies, are uh, state-owned or partially state-owned. Uh, TikTok actually is not state-owned, to my knowledge. It is privately owned. However, since it is based in China, it is 100% subject to state uh, the, uh, China's laws. No different from the U.S. If you have a presence in the U.S. as a business, even though you're a foreign entity and you have like a footprint here, you're subject to U.S. laws, right? This ain't complicated, folks, right? It's the same everywhere you go. You're there, a footprint there, you subject yourself to the laws of that country. In a TikTok's case, the concern revolves the national security law of China, where uh, on, uh, on demand of the government, uh, the, the equivalent of the Department of Justice, whatever you want to call it, uh, the law enforcement demands you hand over all data uh, that you have, you have to give over the data. So a lot of arguments have been made from things like what's what uh, WeChat and um, TikTok and other uh, ByteDance and uh, Tencent and other Chinese companies is that, uh, okay, well, we can work around that by putting our service outside of China. Oh, Okay. But the problem again is that you're subject to Chinese law in China, so the Chinese law, you know, just no different, you know, from anywhere else. They will crack down on you if you don't give them what they want. So the reality is, once the crackdown by law enforcement begins, you're going to start giving up the data and seeing in foreign countries. So that's a concern. Secondly, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is TikTok. So. I mean, if you're putting up, I mean, if you're like the Russian soldiers who are using TikTok to tell your positions away, I mean, you get what's coming to you, people. I mean, duh. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's that simple. So uh, again, you should not be using personal apps on, on government or employers' devices, period. Just saying that, folks. Um, again, for like the fifth time. But I mean, the concern again is that, you know, perhaps there's a ability for them to, um, wormed their way into your uh, cell phone device from TikTok instead of using their algorithms to learn more right. so much about you. They can use that as compromised positions against government officials, uh, the ability to uh, use the algorithm to start to predict uh, the user's uh, phone and send specific messages. As we all know, social media is a huge influence regarding how we communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, one of the myths is that it has a special algorithm. It's actually no different algorithm than Twitter or, or uh, Facebook or Meta now. Uh, or any other shopping or advertising or political uh, calculations they use on the internet to find out what makes you attracted to certain types of messaging. TikTok doesn't use any different uh, calculations than any other company. I mean, the algorithm is proprietary, but the purpose would be the same. Mm-hmm. It would be very different uh, from anybody else's. It's really about a security issue of physically having the absolute device and potentially becoming a security breach. Yeah. 
So, I mean, if you're at home and, you know, your teenagers are using TikTok, I'm fairly confident they're not the target audience of a spy device, right? Um, but it's also by one way, uh, phones are not allowed in the U.S. It's the fear that they are um, potentially a hardware to provide spy devices, for example. Yeah. Um, and uh, also Huawei doesn't use Google-based uh, or, or iOS or Microsoft or Unix-based uh, uh, operating systems. They have their own unique operating system because in China, you can't use Droid operating systems in the country. You have to use your own because... Google is essentially banned from China. Um, so as a result, all Google-related products can't get there unless you use a VPN. Interesting. Okay. All right. So there's a bigger picture here for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you guys can decide on you know, what you think. But I mean, my first gut reaction when I saw it was like, you shouldn't even be having it on there. <laughs> so it's already a non-starter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is wrong with you all? You, you, why do you need a law to do this? This should be something as corporate policy, uh, you know, government policy, you shouldn't be doing this. And again, the war in Russia, right? I mean, those of you have been watching the Ukrainian war, uh, the Russian soldiers are TikToking away their position. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they've really stopped. Probably not. Well, I mean, a lot of them aren't professional soldiers, if you will, you know, with the, with the conscript that they have. So they're just regular folks like you and me that all of a sudden find themselves at war. Yeah, they're going to TikTok their journal through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about uh, the legal issues the president is facing now, Tacky, with these documents that are being uncovered? Well, as you all know, I hate working from home. So that's more of an argument not to work from home. Uh, obviously, uh, tongue in cheek comment there. But obviously, you know, uh, you know, the highest level of government, you know, it, your work is 24 7. I mean, I mean, um, we talked about this workload before, but especially executive branch folks, especially all of executive branch folks have have uh, a no real like getaway. And uh, we all aware that even when they're vacation, uh, their vacation home is set up already for secure communication, whether it been 50 years ago of telephones, today with web-based devices, as well as uh, national security as part of someone's vacation. Uh, day. Oh yeah, port had an emergency red, red telephone for sure, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter what decade you're in. Uh, the, uh, the national security folks have your vacation home ready for work. Uh, Lord forbid something really, really bad happens, right? And, uh, you know, cell phone devices, uh, obviously, you're more reachable to your colleagues in government. It's not like people stop calling you because you're away. It's not like you're not getting text messages. I will personally attest to the fact that when I'm on vacation, I get plenty of text messages and voicemails from folks. Um, so... Am I surprised? To be honest, not really. I hate to be like that because it's a lot of documents. Uh, you kind of like shuffling stuff around um, and then you misplace it items. What's a little shocking is the lack of accountability or invoicing. Uh, you know, the, the government, uh, sh- uh, particularly at that level, particularly national security level, they should in, you know have an inventory of saying this has been taken out like a library card, right? They should say, you know, we have a checklist. This is what you have. We want a checklist when you come back. Right. You know, and that's the thing I was a little surprised by, uh, not just with the president, uh, former President Trump and current President Biden. I was a little surprised there's no checklist by anybody saying, hey, um, this is missing. Right. Yeah. Where is it? You know, unless you be a paper trail on that document at all times. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it all analog, too. If you're concerned about security, you can you just do analog and you can always put it on code. It doesn't mm-hmm. like to 
you know, put a piece of say a dictator, you know, secrets of the French government. You don't have to put that on, you know, that you, you can always write a code, right? Uh, reference number. So, I mean, I was always surprised through this whole deal of both uh, Trump and now Biden. It's like no one has an inventory. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe some something will change after after this has been revealed. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a very common sense issue. If you have truly sensitive documents, I mean, if it's a public document, who cares, right? Anybody mm-hmm. can get hands on it; it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, but uh, you know, it's it's also got like political theater too. I mean, on the one side, you have you know a former president who's fighting in court to say, you know, that's my stuff, essentially. And the other side, it's like, hey, uh, okay, fine, everyone just comb through the house, find everything, and get rid of it, back to the government, and just mm-hmm. it's. And then you have, uh, uh, you know, something, again, it's uh, unprecedented really in these times where you have a Department of Justice who is uh, actively uh, doing investigation with two, two folks, back-to-back leaders of the free world, so to speak, at the same time with two very different cases. They're not the same folks. They're not the same identical in terms of how, what the documents are, because we don't know what they are, right? Right. The sensitivity. We, one is actively fighting it. The other one's cooperating. Both have special counsels, which again kind of shields the DOJ in some ways regarding the investigation. But often these investigations also occur after you leave the presidency, as we've right. seen other folks where um, you know they will look into you know whether it rose to a level of criminal issue. But I mean, there were like peaks around seeing what's going on, and everyone remembers the Hillary Clinton emails, another one, right? And then Donald Trump had the same issue regarding emails. People forgot that story already. Uh, I'm pro- I, I promise the Department of Justice hasn't forgotten that story, but I mean, the media clearly has forgotten that one. And, uh, you know, but again, you know, the, this is the highest level of jobs in the nation. Executive jobs, again, is never ends. You're always working. Uh, and I get that. Um, but, you know, what are you doing here with this stuff? And it's also analog, thankfully. It's, it's not digital. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't appear, you know, President Trump made any uh, PDF copies hopefully mm-hmm. uh, on that stuff. But I'm sure the Department of Justice is hunting uh, this information down. So on the plus side, you know, it's paper and uh, paper can be acquired and destroyed as opposed to be transmitted easily. Right, right. Um, and also that was, you know, private residence versus public property too. So that's another distinct difference. There's a distinct difference as well. However, as I said before, you know, your work follows you wherever you go. Yeah. And uh you know, yeah, I would say it was it was commenting about you know going vacation. The whole place is basically a, a secure workplace while you get there. Mm. Um, you know, expectations private residents should also do that as well. And there's also leads to a question regarding congressional members regarding uh, security clearances, right? How much information do they really get? Do they actually get any paper too? I have no idea. This actually leads to a whole lot of new questions uh, beyond the president. It, you know, it involves Congress because they have security mm. clearance. And uh, obviously, you know, they got to look at other sense of uh, folks that have sensitive information in the executive branch yeah. and what other protocols. Again, I'm shocked there's no inventory. Yeah. How is it dealt with at the state level? Are, are there, first of all, are there confidential documents at the state level? Uh, yeah, there are. What they are, I don't know. Because they're have, confidential. <laughs> yeah. And I have no security clearance for anything. <laughs> um, so I can I can tell you, I don't know. Um, yeah. We do have a public records law that does dictate what is confidential and what is public accessible. I mean, I've talked before in my time in the Attorney General's office, things like uh, electrical transmission maps are considered national security mm-hmm. data. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot tell you what's on them anymore. It's been a long time. I literally don't know what's on them. Um, 
But I mean, you know, obviously you got that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, criminal justice system, you know, protection of certain identities regarding witnesses and victims. Right, right. Juvenile identities, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we do have some like private stuff, but do we have like national security stuff? I couldn't tell you. Again, I'm not, uh, I know I'm not on that um, level to know. You know, I'm aware that the chair of the Joint Committee on Public Safety and Homeland Security does have uh, some access to materials. However, they also have to sign uh, waivers uh, to get those materials. Okay. Um, and to my knowledge, they never needed to yet. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of those provisions created after 9-11. Um, right, because, yeah. You know, obviously, if, if there's a state security issue uh, and the uh, legislature needs to get involved, you know, the Public Safety Committee be in charge of getting involved. Gotcha, okay. But no, no um, idea. No okay. idea. Here, I, I don't know if you saw, um, issue just came up to my mind, was that funding to replace the Cape Cod bridges was rejected. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Um, what are we hearing on the state level? Um, well, a little bit, I'm a little bit far from the Cape Cod Bridge, so yeah, I, I know. I, I haven't heard a lot. I, I just, my understanding is a lot of it is federal funding to begin with. Yeah. Uh, to, to do, uh, and um, I can tell you uh what's going on over there uh, it's been an ongoing issue for a long time uh about uh axing another putting more access to cape cod uh, but it's uh has a real coast guard component because of the nature of the channel mm. uh, if i remember correctly that's a man-made channel mm-hmm. that's correct uh, yeah because that was uh cape cod was actually part of the mainland <laughs> yes it was a peninsula and before it was a man-made island yeah <laughs> yeah so okay so i'm not this and this uh misremembering that so obviously there's a federal component because i don't think the state paid for that uh cut through no no it was army corps through and through um however this time around you know th- there is state funding involved in replacing these bridges uh, but the federal government is, is not ponying up yeah and it's a federal project so mm-hmm. we, we want them to pony up i, I couldn't explain well, i don't know i can't explain why that happened okay i would need to talk to someone to keep delegation yeah, we'll see if the transportation secretary comes back to Massachusetts anytime soon. He's got his hands full right now with what's going on in the airline industry. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, no, it's a lot, a lot of uh, bad news at the same time. Whether it be snow or, or, or travel, uh, and even traffic. Yesterday, you know, I was at the state house, and uh, morning traffic was a snarl. Uh, it's weird getting back into the whole stuck and not moving in a car for a while. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Um, any movement on the MBTA that we should talk about today? Well, there's nothing new to talk about until they get an MBTA general manager. I think they're kind of right. in a whole pattern in terms of like new initiatives. As we've seen the many billboards around the state, you know, they're looking to hire still. You may recall this short about a thousand employees, but mm-hmm. it's a two-step process. First, they got to, you know, look at applicants and hire and get people who want to be hired. And secondly, is the training process. You just don't yeah. get some place to drive a train or a bus. You actually have to go through a training process and pass the training process. You can't pass the training process. You know, obviously, you shouldn't be driving a bus or a train, right? Right. As as well as hiring, you know, electricians, railway people, and laborers and other folks, uh, as well as people in the ex- uh, in the um, executive offices, accountants, lawyers, and so forth. So, you know, throughout the MTA system, it, there is a need for hire and. Uh, Again, we talked about this earlier. It's, it's a very tight job market for employers. Yeah, very much so. And, and they're having these equipment issues too with this 
uh, train manufacturing company and um, the actual trains themselves having mechanical issues. Yeah, we just uh, we're just talking about TikTok, right? The uh, Springfield the manufacturer plant is a Chinese. Yes. Company. There was a lot of controversy of it, whether or not it's actually part of or partially owned by a state uh, uh, Chinese state owned company, meaning it's a subsidiary of another company that's a Chinese owned uh, rail company. Uh, it was the lowest bidder by far none by like two hundred plus million dollars, I think. I mean, it was very cheap. Um, and now you have these issues regarding the cars here. Now, the cars are assembled in Springfield, but the parts come from all over the world. And mm. those who don't realize, the MBTA, as well as every uh, rail line in the world, uh, is customized construction. There is no uniform standard regarding public transportation vehicles. There really isn't. So if you're in England versus Hong Kong versus Boston versus DC, I mean, everyone's got a different uh, spec on what they need on their cars. Uh, you know, size, shape. Um, uh, we have different tunnel systems. As you all know, we have a lot of curves uh, inside our tunnel system that requires our cars to have certain bendable parts, so to speak, you know, with the trolleys connected so they can turn correctly. Uh, same with the green line, obviously, you've ever done the green line. You, the car size does matter. Yep, be able yep. to, the track widths are all different, yeah. Yeah, to do it all properly. So the fact that the assembly plant is unable to uh, deliver a safe, cars to spec uh, is extraordinarily troubling. Uh, I think def definitely does need investigation. Uh, the transportation, uh, joint community transportation chairs, whenever they're appointed, uh, will likely have to do this. I know they had started conversations about this during the winter time in the legislature. We've had some conversations in the building about this, but you know, we need committee chair assignments so people can follow through. Right. Um, and then uh, definitely the uh, newer governor, uh, as well as whomever is going to be the new general manager definitely needs to fully investigate this and review their contract. You know, maybe it's time to, you know, initially contract penalties if there are penalty opportunities, but we're also kind of trapped here because it's not like we can just find another car assembly company. Now we have to put a new bid. Mm -hmm. There's not that many of the assembly plants on the planet. There's, there's a handful of them. Uh, worldwide, there's only a handful of assembly plants. And then we still have to get these parts assembled and shipped to the right locations for assembly. They don't have to ship the cars here. One of the attractive features of, of, of having this in Springfield, of course, the geography. You know, we don't have to ship it from like Canada or France, right? No, we should ship it down to Mass Pike. That's all. <laughs> yeah, much, much more affordable. And Springfield yeah. is a rail hub. And the hope was that this company would create economic stimulus in that geographic zone through jobs uh, to provide, uh, you know, other similar services of this type to other uh, public or privately held rail systems in the United States. Uh, obviously, with this news, it uh, doesn't create new business. I mean, bad news doesn't create new business. Uh, but I agree that, you know, there needs to be an investigation. Of it. You know, I think it was a surprise to a lot of folks, myself included, that the Department of Public Utilities was the oversight agency for the MBTA. Yeah, I'm the only one not surprised because I had to deal with DPU. So yeah. <laughs> they do towing, parking, other transportation, they do bus, they do the MBTA. Um, it is not new. It's something you've done before. It's remember the Fungwa bus, bus fires. I think somebody remember that. That was a DPU investigation as well as a, uh, some national um, investigations as well. But the DPU did check those buses and shut them down. Mm -hmm. So um, if you've got towing problems, it goes to DPU also. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously, clearly, I know because... Because you should. <laughs> yeah, I've been dealing with DPU most of my career. So, I mean, it's yeah. not like a, we're on Windows DT, uh, uh, DTE, Department of Telecommunication 
uh, and uh, uh, what was it, DTE, uh, I think, Department of Condition and uh, Energy at one time. I mean, I remember it's in previous incarnations. So uh, it's not new to me. But again, it's a leadership issue, right? Uh, who's running the agency should be held responsible why they are not doing something. I'm tired of these excuses from executive branch folks with the Baker administration. And I do not want to hear this from the hearing administration that, well, it's too much work or we didn't know or, uh, you know, it's not our job. Dude, you appointed to do a job. Do your job. I ain't that. I, I have very simple standards. Just do your job. So, I mean, it's always a litany of excuses. Uh, and uh, I just don't have the patience for that. All right. Um, it's the year of the rabbit, Jackie. It is. Uh, we talked about Chinese New Year last time, and I couldn't remember my animals. So uh, you did your homework, and I didn't. Uh, it is the year of the rabbit. Uh, Lunar New Year uh, starts uh, tonight. Uh, Saturday night is the Lunar New Year uh, Eve. Uh, we'll be doing the group Zoom call, and uh, we'll probably have some kind of family meal um, some point. Uh, COVID and you know family illnesses rolling around my own family has kind of changed our whole schedule because you know the flu is still floating around, colds are floating around. I mean, it's a lot of respiratory diseases floating around that's not COVID related. Um, so we'll figure that out on a family level. But uh, yeah, this uh, Sunday, the 22nd, will be the Lunar Day New Year. Um, and it's the most uh, important holiday uh, in Chinese families or any other uh, family that follows the, uh, the lunar calendar in this particular schedule. So places like Korea and Japan uh, do recognize calendar v. Minis, recognizes calendar v. Minis. Tet was uh, at World Trade Center, I believe, uh, last Sunday. Um, the Quincy Resources will have their event on February 5th at the Quincy High, North Quincy High School, first having done this since 2019. Right. Uh, so, I mean, um, I've been a bit more cautious regarding attending things, um, as we've seen with masks, particularly in crowded rooms. Um, but, you know, I, you know, a bit more comfort level because uh, where the vaccination rate could be higher, uh, you know, we, we are getting vaccinated, people are getting boosted. It still is happening. Um, as uh, people kind of also wait for, I've, I've noticed a little trend here. People kind of waiting as we're heading towards the peak areas to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to get the maximum protection time uh, for these um, for the antibodies, uh, so that can extend into the, the peak season. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, February fifth, North Quincy High School here uh, is when the the festival will take place, and uh, I think there was already um, a private private event with Quincy Asian Resources for some of the community members. Yeah, and uh, senior housing is actually activating some of theirs. There's a lot of uh, Chinese and Vietnamese folks in uh, senior housing, and they've been running their own smaller events. Uh, obviously, um, you know, people, again, like any holiday families are going to try to get together. Uh, the Chinese restaurant business is very, very busy during uh, Chinese New Year season. They kind of need this hit in the arm, uh, the shot in the arm at this point, uh, given the fact they had you know, basically nobody going to Chinese year banquets. I have been invited to my first banquet on the 18th with one of the family associations. Um, so I've been, you know, just, it's starting my road. But I've been told by my friend uh, who was one of these family associations that uh, the Chinatown uh, price has gone up from $388 a table to almost $600 a table. Wow. Yeah, inflation, labor workforce shortage. So uh, the profit margins on there. Uh, for fundraising is easily at Chinese dinner banquets in Chinatown. So uh, I've been informed, we expect to see less invites, uh, not because they don't want to do it, but the, the margin of cost for them 
uh, and target audience of people they want to attend, there's no money to be made. Yeah, and they don't have the staff to serve them. That's correct. And you all feel inflation prices, and you've all seen it at the prices of restaurants at grocery stores. So all of us are feeling it. Uh, but it also does have an adverse effect on um, large events where people uh, do uh, banquet-style meals or even catered-style meals. It eats to the profit margin. Your choices, as uh, a travel organization to jack up your price mm -hmm. uh, to uh, cover those additional costs, or um, you uh, keep the same price structure or not as high, and you take a smaller margin uh, as a profit for the, for the not-for-profit or travel organization. It's it's a I mean we no one's really talked about it at all but it's it's true so you know you, uh, the most cost effective way is actually direct mail now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it takes away the, the personal aspect of it though, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it does because part of why we do these things is they gather gather together, um, talk to people working in agencies about their progress, a chance for people to show off their progress, obviously. Um, and things like silent auctions and other ways for business organizations to be supportive beyond just direct cash donation. Uh, you know, those, those are a little bit tougher uh, to do. Um, and also uh, credit card surcharges. I think uh, any business will tell you, or if you use a credit card surcharge for government services, uh, the surcharges are going to be going up. The Visa, MasterCard, exchanges of the world, uh, even PayPal and Stripe and all these other uh, non-Visa uh, uh, MasterCard groups have all jacked up the percentage of the fees they're collecting from uh, the business owners, which then is passed to you in a visibly as part of their uh, overall business price structure. Uh, so it's it's a combination of uh, the fee transaction increases for credit cards, uh, obviously inflationary price, the labor increase price, all of it's converging at once, which is affecting all of us. And uh, charitable organizations, you know, are hurting there. So mm -hmm. I always uh, like to encourage sitting at checkout. Yes, it can be slow because of the mail um, or dropped off. But uh, if you want to help uh, a local organization, uh, you know, please do try to consider writing a check. Yeah, it's the most cost-effective way for them and put the most uh, amount of donation toward its intended purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, 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 uh, you're saving the money on the transaction fee costs if, they, if you're using credit card. Well, I will, uh, well, first of all, let's ask folks uh, to tell you uh, how to get a hold of you. Yeah, we're still in the same office for now until a committee assignment. So I'm still in room 42 at the State House. Uh, we are staffed 617-722-2370. 617-722-2370 is the phone number. Taki.chan, T-A-C-K-E-Y.C-A-J-N at mahouse.gov as my Boston accent came out again. Uh, and of course, you got uh, State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook and at Tacky Chan uh, Twitter. As we talked about last few times, don't social media me. Just pick up the phone or send an email at this point. It's, it's the, the scam stuff. I mean, it's gotten crazy. Uh, so again, don't open emails. You don't know where they're from. And even you know where they're from, double check it actually came from them because I've seen a new one regarding uh, opening Google Doc files. Someone's been, some people I know have been hacked, uh, actually more than a few now. And the beginning is like open your Google Doc. I'm like, you don't know how to use Google Doc. <laughs> they just know by the address. So they 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 clearly got hacked. And uh, don't don't open those things. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So if you get an email from somebody that you know that looks odd, it's probably a scam. Probably a scam where they've been hacked. So okay. Uh, yeah, I got like I had three of my personal email already uh, from hmm. through last week. And uh, obviously, we have a screener for Microsoft Outlook, but it doesn't screen everything. Right. Especially so, if it's a valid email, it'll come through. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and of course, you know, tackychin.org is, is our um, website that uh, as we start a new session now, it'll be updated, reflect the new bill numbers, new links and things like that. So we have to do a, an update, but the website at emulegislature.gov will be seeing a massive update uh, once we get close to March as we complete bill filing process and the clerk's offices are able to process the bills to get bill numbers and committee assignments, there'll be a huge Huge update on MELegislature.gov. Oh, good. Okay. We'll look forward to that. All righty. And in the meantime, I will wish you a gong hei for choi. Happy New Year to you, your family, your staff. I wish you all a happy New Year, good fortune, and health and happiness. Thanks, Jackie. Talk to you next week. See you then.